So I want to just introduce quickly what I want to do this morning. Um, there's a, there's a, a healthy question that every leader should ask on a, ongoingly or on an ongoing basis, and that is, what is God doing? As, as I have now been leading this church for almost the last four years, that's a question that I am asking God and asking myself regularly. God, what are you doing? What are you about? What are you speaking to us in this season? How are we to be following you diligently and obediently? And what I want to do is something a little bit different this morning. We have been doing a series throughout the summer that we've called Sheer Christianity. And we've been just looking at important spiritual faith truths that have become diluted within culture, that have found themselves being combated within culture, perhaps even trying to be redefined at times, which is, I spoke of that last week when I talked about marriage and biblical order. And so we've been studying through this, and I have one more that I want to do before we close this series, but I felt like just before I ended it, I actually wanted to give a bit of a runway to, this, to that last uh, topic. And so I'm going to take this morning, and um, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to share more so than teach today. And I want to share with you from my heart what I believe is an answer to that question, what is God doing? And hopefully you guys will um, give me that liberty to do so today. And I think it's important for you to hear from me as a leader. This is what I believe God is speaking to us as a faith community. This is what I believe that we need to be pursuing so that together we can pursue it in faith as a whole and not just as an individual, right? That sound good? So I want to share with you uh, my answer to that question, what is God doing? And it's something that I have been stirred in quite a bit. Um, through 2020, I realized there's so many things that God did last year that, that would not have come about had we have just continued on the trajectory of 2018 to 2019 and on. And as you know, we had things that we were planning and things that were in the works in the, at the beginning of 2020, and that all just changed. And in hindsight, and as I look back and reflecting, there are things that God has birthed, stirred, um, spoken, and made clear to us that I think was absolutely necessary to have come about or was, was a result of the necessity of 2020. Does that make sense? Sorry, kind of muddied that up a little bit. And one of those things was the significance of the gathering of the church, was the significance of Sunday. And I'm not just saying the importance of being present on Sunday. I'm talking about the extraordinary, uncommon, and absolutely unique essence of what the church is when it gathers. That is something that I felt the Lord really has given me um, uh, a, a, a real insight into. And I think, I've even said it to you guys a couple of times, I think, within the last year. This is no ordinary gathering. When we come together on Sundays, there is something that is unique and spiritual, mystical, and divine when the saints gather together in a space to sing, to confess, to receive, to interact with a living God. And so when you consider the many aspects of being the church, it isn't difficult for our minds to 
to then begin to have an insight into why this is. Think of it for a moment. And actually, I began this series by talking about the, the radical and uncommon origins of the Christian faith. The radical origins of the Christian faith. Think about the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. The power of the death, the resurrection, and the ascension to Christ, of Christ to a place of authority. There is nothing that is common or typical about that, right? The power of the Spirit of God in both making us new and as we sang this morning, keeping us and preserving us until the end. There's nothing common about the power of God in the life of a believer. The real presence of the kingdom of God here on earth and the authority of Christ as king within his kingdom. The empowering of the church by his spirit, the Acts 2, and then on now through the centuries as the Lord Jesus has empowered his church by his Holy Spirit to be what she is to be. Extraordinary, right? The presence of the Spirit of God when his church gathers, and I don't know about you, but there's moments in our worship when the presence of God is more palpable or tangible than other moments, seemingly. That is the nature of the church. That is the uncommon origins by which the Lord Jesus has both birthed and caused us and called us to gather in this day and age. And so each of these, when we put them together, they provide a picture of something that isn't casual or ordinary or optional even. They describe the very essence of the extraordinary people who are being led by a supreme, by a living, by a powerful and a sovereign God. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? There's nothing that's typical about this church. When we walk into this building, we might feel ordinary. We might think because we're coming into a common space that it's just another event, perhaps like going to the grocery store. But I'm telling you, there is something that is mystical about this moment right here. And it's in part, it's the kingdom of God. And when we taught on what the kingdom is, the kingdom is a place it, it in, incorporates, it encompasses an actual space on earth in the hearts and the minds of men and women. The kingdom of God is the king's people in a king's place. And it's the king's presence over his people. That's what this is right now. Do you feel it? Do you feel the extraordinary the uncommon, do you feel what is different about this from our everyday lives? The reason that this is important, church, and the reason that I feel like God is speaking to us right now, that this is what he is doing, is because we find ourselves in a very interesting and unique moment within history. But let me say this to you. God is not surprised by the moment that we find ourselves in. Instead, he has been orchestrating and moving and conforming his church and called her and empowered her to be what she needs to be, what she needs to be right now for this moment in time.
and he's given to us everything that we need. There is no greater proof to the existence of God and the importance of his church than the, the visible manifestation of his power on earth. And I was thinking about this. We could have the best oration, the, the, the most eloquent and charismatic you know, I could possibly be, which probably wouldn't be half as much as some people out there. We could have the best arguments for this and that, but I tell you, when the power of God comes, when, when the unbelieving heart is faced with the real presence of God, what greater statement of God's existence is there than that? That is what I was stirred in, and this is what I believe God wants to stir our hearts in, that we would not just understand that God desires to meet his people by his presence, but that we would so be convinced of it that we come with expectation and in expectation we pursue it so that when we gather, it's come Lord, come upon your church, come and stir our hearts, come and speak to us. God, we, we need to hear your voice. We need to be empowered again. Father, we need to be forgiven. We need to repent. We need to be unified these, these deep cries of our hearts that can only be met and answered when the church gathers. Church, when we are such a people that this gathering becomes something so much more than how we can be encouraged, then suddenly our whole lives change. The purpose of why we are, of who we are and how we are to be is is, is, is precisely addressed through that one experience of God being manifest in his presence. Look at 1 Corinthians, and this was the beginning of it for me. Just this last year, I've been looking at Corinthians because I've, I've said a couple of times to you, our intention and my intention is to teach. I want to teach on the spiritual gifts as Paul speaks of them in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And so it was in my just personal study and my reflection that this really came about, or the beginning of this sense that God wants to change our understanding of the significance of the gathered church. And it's chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says something really interesting in verses 24 and 25. Look at it with me, please. He says, But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and what? Declare that God is really among you. Church, what Paul is saying here is the manifest presence of God within his church is so powerful that it convicts the heart of the unbelieving. And it testifies to the existence of God and the presence of God and the nowness of God, if you will. God is not just some distant being, right? That's the, that's the understanding of a, a deistic understanding that, that there is perhaps a creator that he has, there is in, in such intelligent design, but yet he's uninterested and distant from his creation. No, the presence of God speaks to the intent, to the sovereignty, to the providence of God to be working amongst and in his people. And it attests to his 
presence and his existence. And so the Lord began to stir me this within me, just this profession that when an unbeliever were to walk into this building, would there be a declaration upon their own hearts that God is among you? Would someone walk into this church and say, man, God is among you? God has positioned his church perfectly, I think, in this day, as I said, and he's equipped her to be able to speak to the hearts and the minds of a postmodern world that we find ourselves in today. One such way that I believe, that I, that I think is really addresses the insatiable heart cry of culture is this desire and this pursuit that it takes up with transcendency. You guys know what transcendency means? All within culture, and I was thinking about this, we find this cry for transcendency. I was thinking, I was even getting down like video games and entertainment, getting lost in other worlds, finding meaning in, in avatars and other um, uh, alter egos. Entertainment in movies, the search for transcendency, the message is always so prominent to live extraordinary, to live outside and beyond the ordinary everyday realm. That's what transcendency is. And obviously as a believer, there's a, there's a sense of spiritual uh, and, and divine and mystical presence of the transcendent God. Movies like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all of them speak to this heart cry to experience and to live as the transcendent. Medicine, we're living longer. We're, we're pursuing to live longer. Gene therapy. Other means by which humanity is seeking to live, in a sense, outside of itself as much as it possibly can. Of course, we know social media, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, it's this pursuit of transcendency, a culture of a cult of personality, if you will. Influencers and the like. Desiring to live beyond and outside of the ordinary. It's in our leisure, it's in our travel. We're leaving for longer durations of time. We're going as far as we possibly can. And we see it within just science of people pursuing to get as far into the universe as possible, to understand as much as possible, to see as much as we can possibly see. The rise of, of yoga, and you know there's like 30 different kinds of yoga? You've got like Bikram and Hot and Couples and Kundalini, and you've got like all these different kinds of yoga that take place as people pursue this transcendency in life. We even see it within vocation. Everything has to have a deeper meaning. Buy a pair of shoes, we give a pair to you know, a person in need. Buy this packet of paper, we're gonna plant a tree. Everything is a pursuit of more significance, more meaning, and in fact, almost now, we're being told, right or wrong, but just within marketing of everyday business, that unless you're doing something more significant and more greater than you're not doing enough. 
It's fascinating, church. And it isn't to say that these are necessarily wrong or harmful. I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other on all of those things. It's just simply to say that humanity as a whole is consumed with the pursuit of pushing the boundaries of our everyday ordinary experiences. We want more meaning. We want more visible impact. We want more significance in everything we do. And yet what's interesting is that the very same people who are yearning and desiring and striving for greater significance deny the very source from which the yearning originates from. So in our pursuit of transcendency, we are actually denying the, the ability to have it, if you will. But church, can I just say this? Rather than, rather than capturing transcendence, humanity needs to be recaptured by the transcendent one. And this is where the church comes right into play. Enter stage left. Here comes the church. Why? Because the church is the embodiment of Jesus Christ here on earth, if you will. The presence of God, as I said, in his kingdom, the rule of the king, the presence of the king, the power of the king, the law and the reign of the king, of the transcendent one. Church, let's recapture this. Let's take a hold of this being something so much more than just coming in, feeling good, and leaving and going about our day. Writer Mark Sayer says this. I've shared this with you before, but just pertaining to what we're talking about. He says rather pointedly, what if this secular moment in our culture is only a crisis if we ignore God's call for renewal? What if we reframe this as brilliantly good news? In other words, church, it's only a crisis if we do nothing about it. If the church does nothing in this moment, then the crisis continues. And rather than choosing to see this as a crisis of epic proportions, what if the church sees this as an opportunity of epic proportion? Does this stir anything in you at all? I hope so, because it's stirring in me, and I hope I'm communicating it well with you this morning. Oddly enough, sometimes I actually struggle just to share rather than to teach. But I really want you guys to catch my heart this morning and really to catch the heart of God for us right now. Never before, church, has the church, since I think the early age, been more ripely positioned to have such significant impact as it does today. Think about it, the culmination, I was thinking about this, of all the centuries that have gone before, from, from the modern, from the pre-modern to the modern to now the post-modern, it has building up to this moment that interestingly enough, as all those things that I was talking about that are within culture, the church finds herself today positioned within a world who's actually more open and receptive to the spiritual, right? I mean, naturalism almost is somewhat passe, and to be spiritual is in vogue, right? But, but it's, it's syncretic. We mix within it. We take a little bit of here. We like, you know, Taoism and Buddhism and, and this, these little different bits and pieces, and the world wants to put together this sense of spiritualism, this sense of transcendency, living bigger, living outside, 
But really, what we find ourselves in church, again, is an opportunity of epic proportion to be the embodiment of Jesus Christ's presence here on earth. And another writer, I think, to this, asks another pointed question, and he says this, Will postmodern seekers be able to find in the worship events of American churches the sense of the reality and presence of God that consumerists and entertainment-driven expressions of modernity have failed to provide? So in other words, the world is looking, the world is seeking, it's seeking, it's seeking, it's seeking, and yet it will never find. Because as I said, it rejects the very one who is what they are seeking. And so then the question arises, will the church then not just make herself into something that she should be in order to capitalize on a good opportunity? Will she actually be? Will we be? Will you live? And will I live? And will we together be this that the world wants and desires. And I was thinking, too, the purpose of the church is not only to declare the existence of God. The, the purpose of the church is not only to, to declare to the world the existence of the transcendent ruler and creator and his redemption, as much as and important as that is, but the church exists to also embody his presence in a literal space and time. It isn't just about the message of the kingdom, but it is about the fullness of the kingdom of God here and now. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And it's been, it's in, some, in some streams of evangelicalism, our faith has become so cerebral, we have forgotten of the joy and the vibrancy of the now and present God in the life of the church and the power of the God, of our God within the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. Joaquin, come up. I want you to read this, my boy. This is Joaquin Martinez. Yeah, you can, you can clap for him. Joaquin is going to read for us Ephesians chapter 3, and he's going to begin. No, you're not going to read the whole thing, son. As much as you might want to, you're going to read right here, okay? You got it? And then you're going to read it right into this. Here, let me turn it up. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse what? Verse 8. Verse 8? This grace was given to preach the Gentiles in the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church and manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to, to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith with him. Excellent. Thank you, Joaquin. So what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. 
Church, I fear that sometimes we have read Ephesians chapter 3, what Joaquin has just read, that we read this portion of text and we read it as a content message, that we read it that the manifold wisdom of God is just in content. But church, it is so much more than just the content of the story of redemption. The revelation of the manifold wisdom of God is also in the presence of God and the power of God and the power and presence of the church within the world and the revelation of the redemptive narrative through the church to the world, both in its message and in its presence. You see what I'm saying? I have to be honest with you. Many times I've read Ephesians chapter 3, and I have thought to myself, just the message of the gospel, the story of the gospel, when what I'm saying to you this morning is God has created this church and his church to be so much more than just content. More than just words, but real, tangible, true expression of life. Amen? The manifold wisdom of God includes the manifestation and presence of the power of the resurrected Christ over all of the world. This is the extraordinary nature of God's church. The embodiment of Christ's resurrected power and presence which, which screams and declares to the existence of his lordship and his authority over all. When an unbelieving heart were to come in and experience the presence of God, they would fall upon their knees and would declare that God is among you. Why? Because I did such a great job delivering the sermon that morning? No, right? No, we know not. No, no, because God is present, because God is here, because God is alive, and because the unbelieving heart sees God through the ministry of the church, one to another, and the Holy Spirit unto the church, and the church in return in response to God himself by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But I believe this begins with recapturing what the church really is, which has slowly been lost over centuries of time until we have found ourselves here to this day. My dad and I were talking this week over lunch, and we were talking about how interesting it is that the church, the, the, the consumerist church, if you will, we're just going to paint with a broad brush, because I know this isn't necessarily true of all churches, but the church by and large, even within mainline denominations, has found itself at a place today of being completely, almost slightly indecipherable, common, rather ordinary, and it's happy to be that. It's happy to just be a place where people come, where people receive, where there's a message perhaps that makes you feel good. There's a message that perhaps promotes a, a social issue, and then people leave and they go back. And they go on with their life. And we're just thinking how interesting it is that the church has found herself in this place and isn't even bothered by it. Church, that is not how God has created his church to be. And this isn't me saying, listen, I've got it all figured out, so all the other churches are wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, let's return to what the word of God tells us about his church. Let's return to what the Bible teaches us about being present with one another 
about the significance of us being gathered together, of what we can expect and what we can pursue and what we ought to believe in faith for. Let's return to that. The symptoms of the church's sickness, they're visible. Just a couple of things. One is it's become increasingly man-centric. There's the, and this, is, this isn't just, you know, within the last 10 years. I mean, this, this is decades this has been building. The charismatic personality has been elevated. The celebrity pastor, we've all seen them. The celebrity worship leaders. The, the bands that are really fantastic that are, play fantastic music that have been somehow, and there's nothing wrong with that, I want to be fantastic. Hopefully we are fantastic. But what I'm saying is, is then become elevated in people's hearts. We've seen them, we know them. And suddenly they hold a place almost of idolatry in the hearts and minds of some individuals. It's become more man-centric. It's become more me-centric. That's another symptom of its sickness. The message of the church has become more about the individual. How to make yourself better. Moralism. How to live better. How to just be better in general. Not how to die to yourself and to be conformed into the image of Christ and to reject and deny sin by the power of grace in the life of the believer. Self-help sermons social justice campaigns, like super personalized ministry groups for, you know, like red-headed, left-handed, you know, women who are 22 and a half, we're going to go hiking in the Sierra Nevadas. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, that might be kind of unkind. I'm being sarcastic, but, you know, it's like I've seen some places, listen, like connecting points are important, but like I've seen some places go really far really far with that stuff. But again, it's, it's symptomatic of wanting to draw and keep people who are otherwise uninterested by and large by what the church is saying. So are we concerned about the conversion of souls or just butts and seats? Sometimes I wonder. I don't know. Each of these things, the man-centric, the me-centric, result in people who have become less and less Jesus-centric, sadly. And the church is now something that we go to rather than who we are. I mean, the church has always been, historically, it's who we are. We are the church. But now, of course, we know. We say it. I'm going to church. Come on, kids, let's go to church. No. Let's go be the church. Let's gather with the church. But this is not how the church has made her, of course, or how God has made the church, of course. The New Testament speaks of something that is radically different. Hebrews 6 5 says that, that the church, that the gathered ones, that we are those, the writer of Hebrews says, that we are those who have tasted the powers of the age to come. Not that we will taste the powers, but that we have tasted. And I want to speak more on this perhaps next week when I talk about the worship of the saints and the gathering of the church in our Sheer Christianity series. But just to drop into your hearts that again, there's something that's extraordinary when the church gathers, that by the kingdom of God, there is something of the tasting 
of the future power and presence of what will be is present here in this moment. Like, literally, I've got goosebumps in just saying that. Think about that for a moment. In this very moment, church, you are tasting, you are tasting the powers of the age to come. How is that possible? Because of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both here and the kingdom of God is not yet fully present or manifest, but will one day be. But as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here and the power of God is among us. 1 Corinthians 5.4, Paul says this, that he says to us that the power of the Lord Jesus, the power of the Lord Jesus is present when we are assembled in the name of the Lord. What kind of expectation does that give to us, church? Think about that for a moment. How does that change what we do here on a Sunday? And again, the writer of Hebrews will say this, and we know this text well, that those who gather in the name of Jesus have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Think about, let your mind be expanded for a moment, that the church that gathers is a people who have come, who have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to what? The innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Listen to just that mystical nature of the church in the moment that it gathers. Church, as the world pursues transcendency with every single part of its being, may we be the very answer. And may I say this, that the church, the church, the church universal, is the only answer. Not one of, it is the only answer to this cry of the human heart. So what, is this, what does this mean for us? Where's Penelope? Are you ready, honey? Come on up here, girlfriend. This is Penny Purdy. Penny Purdy is going to read for us. I love it. When I asked uh, if she would read, Penny wanted to know what she was reading before she said yes. <laughs> and I respect that. She wants to know what she's committing to. Okay, Penny is going to read for us this morning, John chapter 4, and you're going to read verses 23 through 24. So here's the beginning of it right there. Can you see that okay? Okay. And then you just read right through the end of the red. Okay. Okay. Go for it. But the hour is coming and now uh, and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Mm-hmm. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Excellent. Thanks, Penny. Great job. I like this. You should do this more often. Lord Jesus says that the hour is coming and is in fact now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does that mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? This is what I want to pursue in the next couple of weeks and into the next series. Next week, I want to look, just as I close the series, at the unique and extraordinary experience that is the Sunday gathering. 
And, I, and my hope is that we would understand not just the importance of it, because I think honestly that understanding the importance of it will be the very least of what I'm desiring. But to build an understanding, as I said earlier, that in turn produces an action to pursue this understanding of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Not just to believe, but to build an expectation for it and an expectation that results in pursuing this experience. Paul says this in Corinthians as well. He says, to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. There is something that's more than just believe that they exist, but there is this there is an action that results from believing. So when I read to you from Hebrews where it says that we are those who have tasted, tasted in the powers of the future age that is to come, do we not only believe that, but do we also then pursue it? That's a question that I want to answer. And what does that look like? Because that's important then. What does it mean when I say that? And I'm hoping and desiring and I'll... Aiming to. That's, that just sounds like intent. I'm really hoping that I do. <laughs> I will define what that means. To understand and enlarge our understanding of the power and the significance of worship in and through song. Why do we do this? Why do we sing together? What can we expect when we sing together? In the significance of the Lord's table, which we are going to participate in here momentarily. What is present in the Lord's table? Is it strictly an act of remembrance? Or is there in fact something more significant in the moment, in this mystical place and time of the gathering of the church and the presence of God within his church? What takes place at the Lord's table? I just got chills with that too. I'm getting double thumbs up from Lisa in the back. She loves it. The beauty of the ministry of the saints one to another under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Jesus Christ at the center of all of it. Jesus Christ exalted. Jesus Christ adored. Jesus Christ declared. Jesus Christ pursued, embraced, applied, submitted to. May it be about him and him alone when the church gathers, right? And then my intention is to use all of this as a bridge into the next series, which we are going to do on the spiritual gifts. Because I believe, as I was thinking about it, what I speak of next week is going to be a bit of a, of a setup and a runway then. So if we believe this when the church gathers, what then does it actually look like? And Paul's going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And he'll also talk about it in a couple of other places as well, as does Peter. But we're going to pursue together, what does this look like? for us to expect the presence of God in our midst. Church, I'm just asking, be in faith with me. Even if maybe not all of that is clear right at this moment, be in faith with me. Let's pursue this together for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the exaltation of his name. Not that this church would be something that we're trying to make it into, but it would be who she's supposed to be. Amen?